is something I hope to do with each and every book of the Bible as we go through. Once we finish it, kind of give it one last episode with the summary, the final thoughts, a few closing comments and ideas that you should probably take away from the book on the whole. That being said, here are my final thoughts on the book of James. James was written to exhort early believers to Christian maturity and holiness of life, according to the Bible Knowledge Commentary. As we read James, we find 54 commands. As I mentioned before, I did not emphasize the 54 commands because I wanted to follow a different outline for the book. And let me just say here that the 54 commands are what we call imperatives. I did talk a tiny little bit about it, but an imperative is simply something of great importance. It is something that must be done. If we count what are called hypotheticals in the book of James, you can increase that number all the way up to 60. So if you want to do an interweb search and dig into that for yourself, you can find all the references uh, for those 54 commands. I'm not going to list them all here. Um, by reading the book verse by verse, taking it one verse at a time, you, uh, even if you didn't realize it, you have heard all 54 of James' commands. So is James giving us an additional set of commandments? No, of course not. In fact, I believe James means to encourage believers, uh, to give you a kind of an idea of what and who James was. Uh, tradition tells us that James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Hegesippus, if I've pronounced that name correctly, was a second century historian who tells us that James knelt so much in prayer while asking for forgiveness on behalf of the people that he became known as camel knees. And that is to say he developed calluses on his knees from kneeling so often in a time of prayer. So while we really have no way to confirm this, I believe it is probably a true account. And the reason that I believe it is because the historian was close enough uh, to the time of James that it's just not likely that a tradition like that had had enough time to develop from people just making up stories. Now that said, it's not in the Bible, and so you have another J.O., another James opinion. That is, it's my opinion. But here's what we do know from Scripture. Remember that um, this James, who wrote this epistle, is the half-brother of Jesus, and he came to saving faith later, according to 1 Corinthians 15.7, and Acts 1.14. I have often wondered what I would have thought if my brother started telling people that he was the promised Messiah. I always get the sense that uh, James was observing his older brother from a distance. As a Jewish boy, James would have been taught how to read the scriptures from an early age, and one thing that all, most all Jewish boys could do was read. There was a heavy emphasis on uh, the reading of scripture, um, even among the so-called working class or the uneducated, they all knew how to read. So there had to be times where James marveled at Jesus and he had to have privately compared what he was seeing uh, from Jesus with the scriptures. Um, but getting back on focus here, 
um, for such a short book. Uh, James touches on just about every aspect of Christian character and living, how we ought to talk, behave, how we ought to serve, and who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. So the approach I took, as you will recall, was uh, kind of with the theme of testing. And these aren't tests that are written tests, but rather a way that you can evaluate your own walk with Christ um, as you read the book of James. We have the test of faith, the test of obedience, the test of true religion, the test of brotherly love, the test of good works, the test of the tongue, the test of motivation, the test of submission, the test of trust, and the last test, the test of patience in suffering. That's a total of 10. There are five chapters and there are, according to me, uh, the way I outlined it, uh, 10 tests given by James. I'd like to give you a quote here from Dr. David Jeremiah because James actually uh, brings up this question and a lot of the minds and thinkers of Christ, uh, Christians who are thinking about these things. The most deeply important question asked in Christian circles also divides many believers. It is simply, how are we saved? Is it faith alone? Or must we live in a way that glorifies God if we are to spend eternity with him? That is an appropriate discussion when it comes to salvation. The New Testament clearly says that we are saved by grace through faith and that salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I would go even further um, if you actually read that particular verse. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Not only is salvation the gift of God, but grace and faith are also the gifts of God. If you study the Greek language, even just a cursory view of um, Greek will show you that um, grace and faith are as much a part of that gifting as salvation itself. So, um, Paul's very next words in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, he says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. So, that was from David Jeremiah, but I couldn't resist. I had to... Uh, put my uh, thoughts in there as well. So I bring all of this up here because in my final thoughts, um, I don't want you to misunderstand James' focus. Uh, James does not, I'm sorry, he does place an emphasis upon works, but his point is that saved people do good things. Remember the analogy that I made at the very beginning of our study in James, a living body moves. The movement does not bring life, but is a sign of it, of the life that's already there. I would add that we are to be good stewards of the life that Christ has given us. We are motivated to work, not to earn some kind of cool points with God, but we work because we are motivated by the new life already given. So James writes about wisdom, and though I mentioned wisdom in our study. I want to emphasize a few things here in this uh, final podcast. 
Um, these are seven characteristics of God's wisdom as outlined in the book of James. And it actually, this particular list, again, comes from Dr. David Jeremiah. Um, I just like the way he organized it here, even though we didn't exactly talk about it this way when we were going through our study. But God's wisdom is, number one, pure. Why is it pure? Because it's God's wisdom, and it's based on his holiness and his moral character. Number two, God's wisdom is peaceable. This goes hand in hand with God's purity. Um, there is a peace in the security of God's wisdom. When you have it, you are at peace. Number three, it is gentle. This is in contrast to the world's wisdom, which always leads to strife. God's wisdom, on the other hand, is firm, uh, doesn't waver, but it is at the same time a gentle wisdom. Number four, willing to yield. Now, God doesn't yield to us, but when we have God's wisdom and we live it out in our lives as believers, what it means is that we are listening or willing to listen, rather, to reason. We are willing to listen to reason. Godly wisdom means that I don't always have to be correct about everything all the time. It's not a my way or the highway kind of a wisdom. It's wisdom that is willing to yield. Number five, full of mercy and good fruits. Remember that mercy is holding back the punishment deserved. So love is demonstrated when we act in mercy. God's wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. Number six, it is without partiality. This means simply that we do not dis, dis, discriminate. <laughs> I can't talk. That we do not discriminate. We talked about this um, when we were studying at James. As believers, we are to also be sure of ourselves so we don't drift when the circumstances change. And this is what it means to be without partiality. Number seven, uh, God's wisdom is without hypocrisy. Of course, we all know what a hypocrite is. It's somebody who will say one thing and do something else. But God's wisdom means that we don't wear a mask and we don't play a part. So those are my final thoughts on the book of James. James is in harmony with all of the gospel message with all of the other New Testament writers and, in fact, with the Old Testament writers. James is not introducing a new works-based salvation here, but rather he is encouraging us to grow and walk in Christ and let that be evident in the way that we behave toward one another and toward the world, the people that we come in contact with every day single day. With that said, that finishes up the book of James. May God bless you. May he keep you and make his face to shine upon you. It is my hope that this is an encouragement to you. 